0: More than ever, followers of Jesus Christ need to be able to give a reason for the hope that we have, to present why we believe that the claims of Christ are true. The Bible tells us to do this. This is commonly called apologetics, from the Greek word apologia. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with author, speaker, and Christian apologist Dr. Pat Zukarin. Recently, Pat had an opportunity to speak to a conference on the need for apologetics in the church. Today you'll hear part two of this fascinating topic. And by the way, these are exactly the kind of resources that we have at evidenceandanswers.org. There you'll find everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, a complete list of Pat's books, his articles, and past shows that you may have missed are available for download, all at evidenceandanswers.org. Now, Pat Zuckerin before an audience on the need for apologetics.
1: Apologetics, the Bible commands it, reason requires it. God created us in His image, which means we are rational, moral beings. We use our reasoning faculties all the time. We make our daily decisions using our rational faculties and examining the evidence. So we're constantly examining what we believe and and why we believe it, whether we know it or not. Socrates, the great philosopher stated, the unexamined life is not worth living. We say as Christians, the unexamined faith is not worth believing. We use reason constantly. The Bible commands us to use our reason, our rational thinking ability, to determine truth and error, to discern truth from error. We're called to be discerning about the message that we hear. Does it match up with the truth presented in the Word of God? John writes in 1 John, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Paul writes 2 Corinthians ten five. we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Remember this, the gospel message is never heard in isolation. It's heard in the context of a culture and its ideas. And our culture today views Christianity as a myth and irrelevant for our lives today. The ideas of relativism, Darwinian evolution, radical criticism, the radical atheists who are out there attempt to prove our faith to be false and not worthy of serious consideration. Therefore, before someone will take your message seriously, often you've got to present a good case of why they should listen to you. How do you know the message you're presenting is true? There are good reasons. There are good evidence On that and often you're going to have to demolish the false arguments that they have embraced before they're going to listen to your message and take you seriously and Paul commands us here he says don't run from those ideas he says armed with the truth of God's Word and the spiritual weapons that you have been given Paul doesn't say run from them he says what we use these spiritual weapons he says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Okay, what do we do with the divine weapons that God gave us? Verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What are we called to do? He says we're called to demolish arguments there. The, the strongholds that the Christian is called to engage and disarm, are specifically mentioned now, and they're in what? The mind and the will. And a person's mind and will must be transformed before his outward conduct will be. And through being trained and equipped in the Word of God, the Christian seeks to dismantle false arguments and fort- that fortify a person's unbelief and demolish the deceptions that they believe. Okay? The Greek word there is kataskapto. Okay? Literally, that word means to go down to its foundations and overturn fortifications that keep people from believing in Jesus Christ, to demolish, overturn the false ideas that they have embraced, to transform one's thinking from false ideas to believing in the truth presented in God's Word, Uh, to transform thinking, and then one's life will be transformed. Often, you've got to demolish the false ideas that are out there, present a good case for Christ before The world's going to take you seriously. I remember I was speaking at a college in Chicago to a group of young people. And I was presenting a message from God's word. And when I was done, this is the first message. Okay, When I was done, a young man stood up. His name was Gordon. And he just said, I don't believe a word you said. And I looked at him and I said, oh, why not? And he said, there's no such thing as truth. Everything is relative. There's no such thing as absolute truth. Everything is relative. It's just the ideas of whatever culture you are in is what you embrace. No such thing as absolute truth that's true for everyone. It's all relative. And I just looked at him and uh, I prayed really quickly because I knew I had a tough one on my hands there. And everyone was quiet, kind of listening, you know. And I said, "There's no such thing as truth." So I looked over at him and said, "Is that a true statement?" "There's no such thing as truth." "Is that a true statement?" He kind of stood there and he said, "Well, yes." I said, "Is it true for me?" He said, "Yeah." I said, "Is it true for her?" Yeah. "Is it true for you?" He said, "Yeah." I said, "You just presented the absolute truth. Thing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there is absolute truth, you know." And he starts shaking. And like, oh, I got an answer for you. I got an answer for you, you know. So I said, "Well, okay, I t- I'll tell you what." I said, "Let's go for coffee and uh, we'll talk it over." So we had a discussion, and he had his uh, computer right there. And I said, "I said, just really interesting. Tell tell me about." Uh, you know, what do you believe about truth. And he said, well, uh, there's no such thing as truth. And I, I, said, I said, if that's true for everyone, you just stated an absolute truth. And he stood there and he was like, he pointed at me and he said, I got an answer for you. So he jumped on the computer right there. You know, it's the internet in that uh, college cafe. He jumped on and presented me the definition of relativism and truth. And I said, is this the definition of truth? He said, yes. I said, is this true? You know, he kind of sat there and he said, well, yes. And I said, should I believe this? He said, yes. And I said, boom, absolute truth number two, you know. And then he said, well, the reason I'm not a Christian, I can't stand Christians, is be because they hate homosexuals. You know, that's all they do. They hate speech against homosexuals. They condemn homosexuals. Uh, they judge homosexuals and condemn homosexuals. That, that's why I can't become a Christian. And I said, is it wrong to falsely judge and condemn people? And he said, well, yes. And I said, is it wrong for me to do that? He said, yes. I said, is it wrong for you to do that? He said, Yes. I said, I said, what about that guy over there? You know, this guy drinking coffee, looked at us, and I went, hey. Yeah. What about, is it wrong for him to falsely judge other people? He said, yes, it's wrong for everyone to do that. And I went, ding, absolute truth number three. It's wrong for to falsely judge people. I said, wow, we went from zero to three, you know. And, uh, um, you know, he was just sitting there, and uh, he was shaking, and he was getting upset, you know, and uh, we talked for a little while longer, and I could tell he was getting kind of mad, so I just said, uh, Gordon, you know, uh, let's just end it right here. You know, I, I had a great time. I think it is a great discussion. And uh, if you want, uh, come talk to me during the week, man. I'm around. We'll just get together and, and we'll talk. Well, uh, the next night he came and he spoke to me. He asked me some more questions, you know. And, and, and this time he was a little bit calmer. Had a great dialogue. Uh, then on the third evening at snack time after the second message, that evening he came to me. And his demeanor was completely different this time. And he said, okay, I got one more question for you. I said, sure, Gordon, what is it? He said, God knows everything? I said, yeah. I said, God knows the future? I said, sure does. He said, God's so smart. God knows the future. Why did he create man in the first place, knowing that man would sin and fall? And then I smiled. He walked right into the gospel presentation. You know, right there. Often, that's what you've got to do. You've got to demolish okay, the arguments, the false ideas that people have embraced to, that keep them from hearing the message of Christ. And once you do, and you present good reasons and evidence for why your message is true, it is then they'll take your message seriously. Remember, God does not bypass the mind to speak to the heart. Learn what you believe and why you believe so you will not be deceived. Learn how you can identify truth from false ideas. And be ready to present a compelling evidence for why you believe. Reason requires it. Number three, our faith stands upon it. Christianity is not a blind leap of faith as some will teach. You just got to believe. You just got to have faith. Oh, the Muslims say that. Mormons say that. Buddhists say that. What would make our leap of faith any different? We do not believe, despite the lack of evidence, we believe in light of the compelling evidence and reasons that are out there. See, all worldviews, all religions require faith. The question is, What is your faith built on? Is there enough reason and evidence upon which to believe what you believe? The Christian must be able to answer yes. Otherwise, when challenged, one's faith will not be able to stand the challenges and assaults that will come upon it. Remember, an emotional faith will only take you so far. Sooner or later, you will need solid reasons and evidence for why you believe and choose to live as you do. Our faith in Christ is constantly challenged by the non-believing world. And remember, there is a fearsome enemy that seeks to destroy God's church and send his people into retreat. And we're in a struggle for the soul and welfare and future of our nation. And there's some disturbing trends out there. Hey, the recent Southern Baptist survey showed that nine out of ten students drop out of church after graduation from high school. After four years of college, nine out of ten, their faith is demolished, and they do not return to the church. The Christian Post reports estimate as as high as ninety as a ninety four percent dropout rate. Also, many Christians do not share their faith or engage in the ideas of the culture because they're afraid of the challenges that they will face. And therefore, instead of engaging the culture for Christ and seeking to transform the thinking of people, instead we go into retreat. But if you understand why you believe what you believe, you can articulate your position in a powerful and compelling way. Apologetics builds confidence in Christians and motivates them to share Christ. You know, a lot of people ask me, how did you end up in apologetics? Well, I went to a... You know, it was once a Christian missionary school in town over there. And, you know, we had school priests. I grew up learning all the Bible stories. But I, I was taught that these are fictional, mythological, legendary accounts. You know, Jericho and the walls falling and Moses parting the Red Sea, Jesus rising. These, this is just mythology, like the other world religions. And so I didn't take Christianity seriously at all. Now, in my senior year, one of my best buddies, you know, he played third base. I played shortstop he came to christ and he took me to church at a baptist church out there in aea and was there for the first time i heard the gospel message i came to understand that the god of the universe loved me so much that he wanted to be an intricate part of my life and provide the meaning and purpose and mission that i was so longing for and i heard the message uh, that sunday for the first time and i went to my school priest the next day on monday and i said father so and so guess what I went to church, and I heard the gospel. And the gospel is about Christ and God providing us meaning and hope uh, and loving us uh, so much he came to die on the cross for us and conquered sin and death. And the priest looked at me, he just smiled, and he said, Oh, that's great, Pat, but uh, don't take it so seriously. Any, any religion is good. No matter what you believe. Uh, as long as it only makes you happy and a better person. You know, and I said, Really? He said, Oh, yeah, the Bible's filled with errors. Got all kinds of errors in there, you know. And I was it up. You know, I thought, well, well, I mean, Christianity is a wonderful message. I've never heard anything like it. But if it's not true, it's not for me. Why should I give my life uh, to Christ if, it's not, if none of these things are true? You know, it claims to be a historical book. claims that these things actually happened. but if it never did, what's the difference between Christianity and, and the Hawaiian religions or Hinduism or Buddhism? You know, and, and desperately wanting to learn the Bible, I signed up for Bible class, you know, in high school. And there I learned all the reasons why the Bible was not true that sophisticated writing and law codes did not exist during the time of Moses. Therefore, Moses could not have written Genesis through Leviticus. Those first five books could not have been written by Moses. Therefore, when Jesus called the first five books the law of Moses, Jesus actually made a mistake. Well, Jesus was supposed to be the divine son of God. How come he didn't know that? Well, he's not the divine son of God. You know, the Gospels are written centuries, centuries after the life of Christ, and they were passed down orally. Okay, and so the next guy told the story and the second guy exaggerated it a little bit and told the third guy and the third guy exaggerated it a little bit and his generations. finally someone wrote it down centuries later and by the time it was written down, this guy Jesus who was simply a man, a good teacher, was walking on water and turning water into wine and rising from the dead. and it, These are just legendary exaggerations that happen when people write about a famous religious leader centuries after his life. And I was learning all of this, you know. Well, I went to the church where I heard the gospel, and I, I went to people, and I said, look, how do you answer this? There's no such thing as this kind of sophisticated writing in the time of Moses. What do you guys think? You know, and they were just, well, I don't know. Just, you, you just got to believe, man, you know, and I went around saying, look at this, uh, all this thing about Jesus, and it comes from, from the Greek mythology, man. The Greek had rising and dying gods and God-men and all this kind of stuff. It just comes from Greek religion, you know, and people, were ah, just, just believe, man, just believe. And uh, months went by and uh, I was near the end of my rope and I said, you know what, if Christianity's not true, then this isn't for me. You know, I can't give my life to myths and legends. And it was then I was talking to a friend from that church and he put a book down in front of me. He said, I don't have any answers for you, Pat, but here's a book that may help. And uh, it was a book on Christian apologetics, about that thick. And it's a pretty boring book. It's like an encyclopedia. But I found it exciting. Here's where the first time I found compelling reasons and evidence that Christianity is indeed true. It's not some kind of blind leap in the dark. And there, I was beginning to see that Christianity is uniquely a historical faith. It's got some compelling and powerful reasons and evidence for why it is true. I learned all this information. I went back to the high school priest, see how it would stand up. And this time the tables were turned. I said, did you know Dead Sea Scrolls confirmed this? Did you know that the Gospels are not written centuries there? They're written just 20 to 30 years after the life of Christ, in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. And suddenly, you know, he had no answers for me, you know. And there I knew that Christianity could stand up to the challenges that were brought against it. But my story is not an isolated event. There are hundreds of young people out there like me who are questioning, why do I exist upon this earth? Does Christianity have the answers to the questions that I I am asking? What about... Uh, the things the skeptics are bringing up? Can Christianity answer those challenges? Are those good reasons, are there good evidence for me to accept and follow Jesus Christ? There's hundreds of them out there. Can you bring them good reason and compelling evidence for why they should entrust their life to Jesus Christ? Also, we know that among Christians today, they have embraced the false ideas of the culture. And if you read a guy, his name is George Barney. He's a Christian sociologist. He wrote a book called Think Like Jesus. Great book out there. One of the things he concluded, why is it that the church is not impacting the culture? It's because the church thinks like the culture. We've embraced the ideas of the culture. As Aquinas said, you know, once the church embraces the ideas of the culture, the church is dead. The church is called to engage the ideas of the culture and transform the culture for Christ. And finally, reason number four, the non-Christian world demands it. It's not enough to say, well, just believe. We need to present compelling reasons for our message. Remember, the gospel is never presented in isolation. It is presented in the context of a culture and its ideas. And the ideas of the culture often oppose the message of the gospel. See, our culture today sees the Bible as an outdated book of legends and myths. We're not in a Christian culture. We're in what's called a post-Christian culture. And often, before we can present the gospel message, we must demolish the false ideas of the culture before non-Christians will seriously consider our message. Critics out there assert that the gospels are inaccurate, legendary, biased accounts. Darwinian evolution is the dominant idea in the culture today. If Darwinian evolution is true then the Genesis 1 through 3 accounts cannot be true. And guess what? Christianity collapses. Many churches and seminaries already teach Genesis 1 through chapter 11 is simply mythology. Relativism teaches there's no such thing as absolute truth. And as you saw in Barna's survey, the majority of Christians have embraced that idea. If truth is created by each individual, then no one has the right to judge another's belief system as true or false. Various world religions present challenges to Christianity that must be answered. For example, Islam. Islam teaches that the Trinity is blasphemy, that Jesus is not the divine Son of God, but a prophet, that he did not die on a cross, and he did not resurrect from the dead. Muslims teach the Bible is corrupted by the Christians and the Jews and not trustworthy. Therefore, before a Muslim will listen to your message, you've got to present good reasons and evidence why he should. Listen, if you're talking to an atheist, he'll say, well, science shows miracles can't happen. Your book is filled with miracles, therefore it's got to be legend. Hey, you're going to present a good case for the existence of God and that miracles are possible if God exists. Hey, in fact, reasonable if God exists. You've got to be able to present a compelling case before a serious atheist will listen to you. Hey, novels like the Da Vinci Code here, it was a bestseller. Uh, excerpts from the book. Okay? It's a clear attack on the Bible and the deity of Christ. Okay? If you read it, here, here's just some quick excerpts. Um, page 231. The Bible is the product of man, my dear, not of God. The Bible did not fall magically from the clouds. Man created it as a historical record of tumultuous times and it has evolved through countless translations, additions, and revisions. History has never had a definitive version of the book. Another section says, these are photocopies of the Nag Hammadi and Dead Sea Scrolls, the earliest Christian records, not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's these Gnostic Gospels we found at Nag Hammadi. Troublingly, they do not match up with the Gospels in the Bible. Page 231, Jesus Christ was a historical figure of staggering influence, perhaps the most enigmatic and inspirational leader the world has ever seen. Understandably, his life was recorded by thousands of followers across the land. More than 80 Gospels were considered for the New Testament, and yet only a relative few were chosen for inclusion, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John among them. Many Christians ran from the challenge of the Da Vinci Code. However, for those who were prepared and equipped, it presented an unprecedented opportunity for evangelism. I was asked to speak all over the world in places that would never let me in their parking lots to speak on what? The Da Vinci Code. And it's great. Why? What are you talking about? Jesus Christ and the historical reliability of the Gospels. I mean, I was in businesses, I was in law schools. I was in liberal churches. Liberal, liberal, liberal churches that don't believe in the inspiration of the Word of God. And they were inviting me to come in and speak. You know, a very liberal church in Texas where I live. Never invited a guy like me to come. Well, the Da Vinci Code came. And they they want to hear what's, what's the evangelical got to say. So I got to go into this huge uh, liberal, liberal Methodist church, Sunday school of over 100 people, and talk about the Da Vinci Code. You know, and when I was done... Several leaders in the class came up and, you know, they were crying and they said, Where can we get this kind of Bible teaching? i heard of this kind of Bible teaching. Where can we get it? You know, and I said, Oh, well, uh, I think Chuck Swindoll's down the road there. You know, I think they got a Wednesday night service and, and you can still come here Sunday if you want. And, well, to make a long story short, the leaders ended up moving to Chuck Swindoll's church and the class followed. And uh, so I killed the Sunday school class. You know? (Laughter) I've never been asked back by that church since, you know. And then, then another Methodist church down the road asked me, same thing happened. You know, leaders came up, and men, women, just crying, saying, where can we get this Bible teaching, you know. I was like, well, a person with Baptists over there, and, uh, you know, Grace Bible, and a couple of good churches around here, and, and sure enough, everyone left, you know, and killed another Sunday school, you know. So, but I was being asked all over in China, um, you know, that's a country where you cannot proselytize. You can't do evangelism. But if people ask you, are, are you a Christian? What do you believe you can tell them? But you can't share your faith. But I remember sitting in a coffee shop. I hadn't sat down for more than 10 seconds. I sat down, I turned around, I looked up, and there was a guy sitting right there. A couple of Chinese students, and they said, you're from America? I said, yes, I am. They said, uh, you must be a Christian. I said, well, yes, I am. They said, we got a book. Can, you, can we talk to you about a certain book we've been reading? I said, sure. What is it? Guess what? Da Vinci Code, Chinese version, you know. I said, hey, great, guess what? Talking about Jesus Christ and the historical reliability of the Gospels. I was all over the place presenting a defense for Christ. It presented an unprecedented opportunity for us to to share Christ. You couldn't walk into a Starbucks and not see someone reading Da Vinci Code, and you just walk up to them and say, good book? Yeah? What do you think about what's in there? Ah, I sit down, boom, there you go. And you end up talking about Christ and the Gospels. And when people were trained and equipped... They were so confident and encouraged in their faith. They were more solidified in their faith. I remember parents coming up to me after a seminar thanking me because their kids were reading this book along with many of their friends and and, and losing faith. And now the parents were equipped and ready to engage their high school and college-aged children on a level with intellectual integrity and knowledge. You know, it's not enough nowadays in our post-Christian culture just to present the gospel and say, well, you should believe because it's a good thing. We've got to present a compelling case for why we believe what we believe. It's clearly apparent that we're in a struggle for the soul, spirit, and future of our nation. And you can clearly see that the church must now more than ever be able to proclaim God's truth in a compelling manner. We need people who who know what they believe, who are studied, who are trained, that can present a very clear and articulate and relevant message to the culture today. But we're also going to need men and women from every arena of culture who can defend God's truth. And we need the body of Christ to live out that truth in a compelling way, which the world cannot, cannot ignore our message. And as we do Those three basic things. As Calvary Chapel, Pearl Harbor does those three basic things. We can see God use this church and his people in a very powerful way to transform this world and the culture for Jesus Christ. Why do we need apologetics? The Bible commands it. Reason requires it. Our faith stands on it. And the unbelieving world demands it.
0: Well, we have run out of time on Evidence and Answers. By the way, if you wanna keep a quality apologetics program on the air and on the web, please support Evidence and Answers with your prayers and financial gifts. One of the ways you can do that is by purchasing the many resources we have online, including Pat's new book with Norman Geisler, The Apologetics of Jesus. So check out our website, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And you can also invite Pat to speak at your next event church, campus, or conference on the most crucial issues facing the world today, and how the Christian worldview provides the best answers to the best